Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. Good morning. Hope you are doing well. It is uh, great to see you. Great to uh, have you here this morning. Uh, We're really excited. We're going to begin a three-week series called Skeptical. And we're going to try to address three questions that I think people need to have answers to. One is, is it reasonable to believe in God? The second week, next week, we'll look at what do we know about Jesus that historians are certain about. There's no dispute what secular and Christian historians would agree is absolutely certain about the historical figure of Jesus Christ. And then the third one we're going to look at is, is the Bible credible? We're going to try to address those three questions. Now, um, if you're not a Christian, I want to just tell you, just for me, I want to just thank you for being here and really tell you how much I appreciate uh, the opportunity to just your openness and the opportunity to sort of present this to you. I know that a, if you're not used to church, this is a little bit odd. It's some of the things we do a little weird. So apologize for that and appreciate you getting through that. What we're going to do this, I'm going to give a 30-minute talk here about is it reasonable to believe in God. After this, we're going to have three worship songs. We're going to do something called communion, which is a, uh, a for lack of a better word, a ritual Christians do uh, to remember the death of Jesus. And um, if there won't be a chance for dialogue, it's just not this a church service isn't set up for question and answers or comments. But if you do want to ask me a question, anybody, actually, I know church member or skeptic, whatever you may be, if you do have a question, please feel free to email me. My email address is lee at classiccity.org. You can go to our church website under the staff page. It'll have a picture of me, and you can click on that, and it'll, it'll, you can send my, my email will come up there. Um, and if you want to actually meet, talk, you want to have some real dialogue about this, that's very fine with me. I'd be delighted to take you to lunch or breakfast or whatever and just, uh, you know, whatever questions you may have, whatever itch you want scratched, be able to do the, the best I can to, to do that. So that's, that's that. So anyways, our first message today on is called, Is It Reasonable to Believe in God? Now before we get really into the message too deeply, let me define a couple of terms that I think are important for us to look at and for us to know. You know, what do we mean by reasonable? What is reason? Well, reason is defined as the process of pursuing the truth or what is most likely to be true. It's a process of pursuing the truth or what's most likely to be true. And there's three basic routes or three you know, dominant ways we go about uh, using reason to, to, from, of what we do know to determine what we, what we want to know, what we don't know yet. And those three routes, the first one is called deductive reasoning. Deductive reasoning basically goes like this. Either A or B, if it's not A, then it has to be B. You're just doing deductive reasoning. If I had a box of box here, and inside the box were 60 balls, and they were either black or white. If I pulled out a ball and looked at it, and you couldn't see it, and I said, this ball is not white, 
What color is that ball? Black. Black. Excellent. Excellent. Now, that's called deductive reasoning. It's just this or this. If not this, it's got to be this. Deductive reason, there's a real high level of certainty involved in it. Now, there's a second kind of reasoning. It's called inductive reasoning. Now, inductive reasoning is not like deductive. In, in inductive reasoning, you have a set of facts, but you're trying to take those set of facts and make a conclusion that you can't know for certain. For instance, get back to the box of 60 balls. I reach in, and with both hands, I grab a couple balls, and I pull them out, and three of the balls are black, and one ball's white. And then I put them over here. And then I reach in again. Two handfuls, pull them out. Three balls are black. One is white. Put them here. I reach in again, pull it out. Three balls are black. One is white. And I do this six, seven, eight times. Same thing. Three balls black. One ball's white. How many of those balls would you reason are black and how many are white? Huh? You guys are taking too long. It's concerning me. <laughs> yeah, you would think, well, there's probably 45 black balls and 15 white balls because you just keep over and over again doing that. That's, it's, it doesn't mean that's true, but it's the, most, it's the most likely, most reasonable explanation that you would come to of what, what is most likely. And you're pursuing that truth or that answer. That's what you would come up with. And the last one is called abductive reasoning. An abductive is asking the question, okay, why is it that every time you put your hands in, there's three, you bring out three black balls and one white ball? And there may be all kinds of ways you would reason with that. That's a little more out there. But there's, those are the three kind of routes you go through. So that's what reason is. Reason is using existing knowledge, the process of using existing knowledge to determine what either is or might possibly be true. Now, second thing, what do we mean by God? The reasonable believe in God. What do we mean by God? A lot of times people will say to you, you know, I, I don't believe in an old man in the sky who hits people over the head with a, whenever they do anything wrong, and I don't believe in that kind of a God. And I tell them, you know what, I don't, I don't believe in that kind of a God either. So then what do we mean by God? And what we mean by God is simply this. A supernatural creator, an uncreated creator, who possesses brilliance and power that is unfathomable. That's what we mean by God. A supernatural creator who possesses brilliance and power that to us would be unfathomable. There's a uh, verse that's in Hebrews chapter 11. It's verses 1 through 3. It's written in the first century. And the writer of that says this. He talks about what faith is, and you can read it on the screen here. Now, faith is the confidence of what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. And that's what the ancients, that means the Old Testament, old people were commended for. In verse 3, he says this. This is a very important thing. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. So here's what he says here about faith. He says, faith is reasoning about something. He doesn't say faith is unreasonable. A lot of times it's juxtaposed that you either use faith or you use reason. And what he's saying here is faith is not 
antagonistic to reason. It's actually the complement of reason. Faith is actually the result of reason. And he says, here's what you would reason from faith, that, there, that the seen world, the natural world, came from something that is supernatural. Some, what is seen came from the unseen. And so this is what kind of the basis of faith is, is reasoning from existing knowledge about what we know to know something we don't know. Now, in this sort of realm, there's two different competing ideas. One is theism. Theism believes just that. They believe that God created the universe and he sustains the universe. The universe is created and sustained by God. The other thought is called naturalism. And naturalism believes that the universe can be explained by natural causes and forces alone and that what we have, what we experience, is a mindless, unguided process. Everything we have is a result of a mindless, unguided process. Those are the two competing ideas and the two competing thoughts. And so that's what we're going to look at. Again, um, let's, let's get into it then. So let's look at the first thing. We're going to look at three facts, three areas of existing knowledge, kind of apply reason to them, and see which of these two tends to be the most likely uh, to be true. So the first fact I want to look at is the beginning of the universe. How the universe began. That's a good place to start. What can we reason from the universe and the way it began? Now, here's what we understood about the universe for years. In, in the year uh, 2,500 years ago, Aristotle uh, was the great thinker, and he came out, and he believed the universe had always existed in a static state. The physical universe had always existed. It always was there, and it had existed in sort of this static state. And that was the opinion of science until less than 100 years ago. Scientists always believed everything existed in a static state. The only people that believed differently were Jews and Christians who believed the universe had a dramatic beginning to it because that's what the Bible said. But then something happened in the late 1920s. There was an astronomer in Belgium. His name was Georges Lemaitre. He's an interesting guy. He went to Cambridge. He went to MIT. But he was also a Jesuit priest. And so he was looking through a telescope and examining the universe. And something he noticed is that galaxies were getting farther and farther apart. And he did some mathematics to it. And he did some other things, which I have no idea what he did. But he determined from his conclusions were that the universe had to have a dramatic beginning. He concluded the universe had a sudden and a dramatic beginning. Now, his research was peer-reviewed. And then the next year, another guy named Edwin Hubble came along, and he did a different experiment, and he found out the same thing. The universe had a dramatic and sudden beginning. And then they went through sort of a, a, a season where there was a lot of objections by scientists. You can read about this. And the number one objection that scientists said over and over again to this finding, is this leaves open the door for God. This leaves the door open for the existence of God. In fact, there was a famous, a great scientist at Cambridge. His name was Fred Hoyle. And he, was, he hated this theory. He was against it. He spoke pejoratively of it. And one, 
One time he is famous for mocking it in a speech, and he used the phrase to describe it, this big bang. The whole, the thought, the, the naming big bang was literally mocked by a scientist who didn't want it to be true. But then later on it became, the, the scientific community became swayed by it. Uh, by 1965 there was a Jewish astronomer who measured the radiation waves and it became extremely more conclusive. There was another uh, experiment in 2016 that affirmed it. The data we've gotten from the Hubble telescope and from the James Webb telescope more recently completely affirm it. Uh, Neil T. deGrasse Tyson uh, says over and over again, Big Bang is a fact. It is just a scientific fact. There's no doubt about it. So we have this beginning of the universe we call the Big Bang. Now let me explain to you what happened with the Big Bang. 13.762 billion years ago, nothing existed. Everything was eternal, infinite, without matter, without energy. It was dark. It was dense. No such thing as time. No such thing as space. No such thing as energy or matter. Nothing. And out of this density appeared, and it wasn't this big, but something like an egg. Something like this. And inside of this egg was the entire universe. Everything in it. Now think about this. Let's say that we went outside and I got a shovel, simple spade shovel, and I went in and I just got a huge lump of dirt. And I took that pile of dirt and stuffed it into this egg. The whole thing. That would be a miracle. That would be incredible. If I did that, and you had a movie camera on it, we'd have 100 million hits on YouTube. I mean, it would just, people would just, what, how'd that happen? You just put a whole pile of dirt in this thing? What if then we put the whole city of Athens into this? Think about this. Downtown, UGA, every house, every home, every tree, everything in Athens was in here. What about everything in our state? What about the entire nation of America, all the land, all of North America? Then you pour in the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. Then the whole planet Earth in this. Then the other eight planets in our solar system and the sun, all the comets, all the, everything flying around there, everything. Then the whole Milky Way galaxy is 100 billion more planets and stars and debris all packed in here. And then you have 100 billion to 2 trillion galaxies on top of that, all packed into here. That's what happened. That's what happened. This is not science fiction. This appeared. Everything in our universe was in here. Now, what else is pretty amazing about this is, is not just that, 
But there's other forces and there's other things in here. The speed of light is in here. The grade of gravity is in here. The strong and weak nuclear quotients. There's 15 of these sort of powerful macro factors that are in there. And what else is in here? And this is amazing. Time and space are also in here. So think of this. When this appeared, time and space and matter and energy were all in here. There's out here, that is not the case. There's no such thing as time. Everything is eternal. Everything is infinite. Everything is spirit. There's no such thing as, as any of these things. This appeared in this thing. And when we say uh, it, the Big Bang happened, we always think of like this egg exploding. And that's not exactly what happened. It really is more like this egg blew up like a balloon at the speed of light. Just whoo, blew up like a, like a huge balloon at incredible speeds. And for 380,000 years, all that existed inside this universe was pure light. Now, again, for me as a Christian, when I see that and I read Genesis 1, verse 3, and I see that as the universe began, it says, God said, let there be light. That's kind of amazing to me. All there was was light. And the universe is spreading, it's expanding, it's, it's going on. And, of course, we have our, our world today. But here's something that you have to think about this. Um, let me get that egg again. I'll say this, and let me, let me ask you why I say this. Did the universe have a natural or a supernatural beginner? What was the source of its beginning? Was it natural or supernatural? Using reason, not, not your bias toward faith or whatever, but what, what is it, just reasonably, what can we conclude? Was it source natural or supernatural? Supernatural, why? Because nothing natural existed. It could only be supernatural. If two options are A and B, and it can't be A, it has to be what? It has to be B. Deductive reasoning says this, the source of our universe is supernatural. And literally the odd thing is that source, I mean, if you and I could do this, if we could literally get to the edge of the universe, it's expanding right now, we couldn't do it obviously, we, we, and we took a step, we would go from being in a realm where time and space happen to a place where time and space don't exist anymore. We can't fathom what this would be like. The only thing we can know is that it exists for certain. You and I came from that. That's the, and so this is, this, is, this is, I think, a reasonable conclusion just from Big Bang. The universe has a supernatural source. And whatever that source is, it possesses a brilliance and a power to us that is unfathomable. Again, it's not a belief, it's a fact. And the only language we have to describe a supernatural source that has brilliance and power that is that immense is God. Now, doesn't mean God became a man 2,000 years ago, doesn't mean he inspired the Bible, but I just... My thing would say, just from this alone, the most reasonable explanation of the facts is there's a God. 
But let me go on here. Let's go to the second point. That's the first one. Second point I want to talk about is the, we've gone from the biggest stuff, the universe, the beginning. Let's go to the small stuff. Let's go to DNA. Let's go to a cell. Let's look at what is happening at the smallest, most minute level of life. Now, a human cell has in it 40 million molecules. That means individual little things that, that make it up. It's a it's very lot of stuff packed in there. Um, it has different mechanisms. It has motorized. It has a, it's a very, very complex structure. It has a cell wall that protects it. But there's two things inside I want to talk about. Every cell has. One is something called DNA. DNA is basically the recipe of how to make you, your DNA. Inside every cell of your body, there is one and a half million pages of information contained in 30,000 what they call genomes, which is like individual recipes of how to make you. Literally inside of us is a library on how to form your hair, how to make the color of it, how to make your nose, how to create a respiratory system, how to create a circulatory system, how to create digestion. All these things, they're lined up, they're highly organized, and then there's something else in your body called RNA. And what RNA does very simply is takes your DNA, splits it in half, and then makes a perfect copy of it. And once it does that, there's a process where your cells divide and they expand and they grow. That is a remarkable thing. If you were and I were flying an airplane over an ocean, over the Atlantic Ocean, and we go and we look down and we go, oh, there's an island. You know, nobody's ever lived on that island. It's completely deserted. No one's ever been there. And as we fly around the island, we go to its beach, and we see on its beach debris and stones and sticks and other stuff. And it's arranged, and there's an H, and then it's followed by an E, and it's followed by an L, and it's followed by a P. What would you conclude? I would think, wow, we're wrong. There is obviously somebody, that is not a deserted island. An H, an E, an L, and a P doesn't come up on its own. It doesn't just happen. If we went into a, exploring a, a place where no one had ever been, we understood no one had ever been there, and we went into a cave, and we found, you know, 30,000 recipes on how to build a human being, how many would say, oh, just... Funny how that got here. Mindless, un, unconnected, random processes, I'm sure. That, that just doesn't make sense. The most notorious atheist from uh, 30, 40 years ago was a guy named Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew taught at, uh, in Cambridge. He was, a, uh, he was famous for debating uh, C.S. Lewis and beating him in a debate. In Oxford, uh, he was a very talented debater and a notorious atheist, and he was committed to being an evidentialist. He just followed the evidence. 
And later in his life, he wrote a book, and it was titled, There Is a God. And what it does, he talks about his journey from being an atheist to being, he didn't become a Christian, he didn't become Jew or Muslim, he just became a deist. He said he just knows it is absurd to believe there's not a God. And this is what convinced him. Big Bang kind of rocked him a little bit, some of these other scientific discoveries. But he said to think about DNA, to think and believe the first cell ever made had that much information in it. And it wasn't put there by an intelligent source. is just utterly absurd. That's what an atheist said. So that's the second thing. We look at Big Bang, the beginning. We look at the second thing. We look at, um, at cells and the, the minute things that are going on there. The third thing, and I think this is inarguable, is the presence of collaboration in engineering in the world we live in. From the micro level to the macro level, everything is calibrated in a just remarkable, remarkable way. There was a uh, Greek philosopher named Heraclitus. He lived in 600 B.C. Heraclitus was looking at the world and he was thinking about everything and he said, man, everything here is random. Everything, there's no meaning, there's no purpose to it all. There's no rhyme or reason. And Heraclitus got very depressed, very depressed about what he was seeing. And so then Heraclitus suddenly started looking and he goes, well, you know what? There's sort of a rhyme or rhythm here to some extent. I mean, every day the sun comes up and it goes down. You know, there's seasons, they come and they go. And then as he kept looking, Heraclitus saw, man, there really is a rhythm. There is a rhyme. There is intentionality. There is intelligence imposed on everything that exists. And Heraclitus called this the logos. It made him happy and excited that there was logic. There was reason. There was some, you know, intelligent sustainer of the planet. Aristotle called it the unmoved mover. You can read about this in his books, uh, Physics 8, Metaphysics 12. He talked about the unmoved mover, and he says there has to be an uncreated, unchangeable intelligence that sustains this sensible world. There has to be. Einstein called it reason incarnate. But it's this idea that that this place we live in is so calibrated that there must be an intelligence uh, that is over it. And we can see that from the base level to the top level. You know, when we think about what makes a cell work, what are the building blocks of life? You know, there's a famous uh, experiment, the Miller-Urey experiment, where in 1952 they did this experiment and the, the guy set up a theater where the, the oxygen levels were the right level and he did all these things that, that, to manipulate it and boom, They found out that some of the building blocks of life could be created randomly like this. And I think that's awesome. But you know what is the most important factor in that experiment? Do you know what it was? It was the creator of the experiment. It was the intelligence. It was the design. It was the knowledge. It was the information imposed on it. You know, in 2016, they made a synthetic cell. They made a cell that was synthetic. Very simple, 
But it was synthetic. It could reproduce. It could grow. It could move around. You know what made it? Very smart people. Over and over again, that's what we see. It just, it's the, the idea of, of, of intelligent design. Look at our own bodies. There's something called, they call irreducible complexity. And it simply means this, that, that for, for if, if I was to make a cell phone, Chris, let me see your cell phone for a second. If I was to take this, and I want, we, we make, when they make these things, great cell phone, by the way, great picture of your family there. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we, we, you take them and you can make a bunch of screens. You can make thousands of screens. You can make thousands of bodies and cases. You can make all the circuitry. You can make batteries. You can make, you know, the, everything, everything it takes to make. You can just make, put them aside. And then you come together. But what makes a cell phone alive is when you put all those things together, right? You put the screen. You put it in the body. You get the circuitry. You connect it to a battery. You charge the battery up. The cell phone, boom, it comes alive. What makes a human being alive? Is it your circulatory system? Respiratory system? Your digestive system? Your skeletal system that protects it all? The truth is, it's everything combined. The problem is, for a living organism, you can't just, let's make, some, let's make a skeleton over here. Let's make a, some lungs and... and Let's, they build some respiratory mechanism. Oh, let's make a circulatory system here. Let's make some muscles. Let's make, no, these things all have to happen together in unison. You can't have one thing out of place. It's irreducibly complex. You can't live without it. This is a, a, a powerful proof that there has to be a, a creator. And the third thing, we can just see this even in a big way. We can see it just simply in, in the, the relationship between plants and animals, that we breathe in the waste of a plant, their carbon. We breathe out their fuel. We breathe in. We breathe out. They're, and this is all over the place. You can look at the distance the sun is from the earth. The, the calibrations of these things over and over again seem to point reasonably to the existence of an engineer, the incredible calibrations we have in this, in this world we live in seem to point almost convincingly uh, to an engineer, to a greater intelligence, to a greater being that's over it. Just think about this. Let me just close with this thought. Our ability to think, our ability to reason, our ability to imagine, to dream, to think things up, our brains, were they here, do you think, by an unguided, mindless process? Did an unguided, mindless process result in our ability to think and dream and imagine and reason? Again, maybe it did. But I don't think that's the most reasonable explanation of the facts. I think the most reasonable explanation of the facts from Big Bang, I don't think you have a beginning without a beginner. The most reasonable explanations from the facts about DNA, you don't have information without first having intelligence. 
the most reasonable explanations of what we see in our universe. I remember a group of atheists were talking about this argument, and they said, you know, that's the best argument they have. That's the only one they have. And I said, yeah, but it's everything everywhere. Everything everywhere. If you're trying to defend a client, and you're a lawyer, and you go before the jury, and you say, men and women of the jury, the only evidence for my client's guilt is everything everywhere. Your client's in bad shape. And so this is the thing we look at. So those are, those are the three points. And then on top of that, I just think our ability to think, imagine, and dream is very convincing. So that's, that's, our, that's our point for the day. I believe it's just more reasonable to believe there is a God. I think faith, belief in God, comes from understanding, from reasoning, that the world came, the, the natural world came from the supernatural. And it's a reasonable, very, very reasonable thing, I believe, to believe in God. Let's, let's pray together. Well, Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for um, you know, your hands. I thank you for the people here that, that are skeptical, that have really come. I really uh, appreciate them. I hope they would know they uh, really appreciate their openness. Um, I pray that you would... Uh, we thank you for your presence. I pray you'd strengthen our faith, strengthen our knowledge of who you are. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.